Good morning. This morning I'm going to be reading Matthew chapter 11. So if you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 11, we will begin. Starting in verse 1, we read, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as sinners in your house, and we confess that we are desperately in need of your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. And so today, God, before we begin the study of your word, I ask that you would just forgive us for our sins. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. I pray that as Jackie preaches the word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would truly have 
uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. God, we want to learn from you this morning, and we want to leave this place changed and ready to do your work in this world. Give us the power and the strength we need to do these things so that we may glorify you in this place. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The children are released. So let it be written. Have fun, guys. Already miss you. This morning as I was <clears throat> praying, seeking the Lord as I try to do uh, every, every uh, Sunday, just to try to have your heart right for what you're about to do, it's kind of important, and as I was doing it, I was, I was listening to a song, and one of the lines of the song was asking that the Lord would conquer me. And I think sometimes that's in a very important place for us to get to. You remember Jacob, right? He always had a way to work something out. He could always have, a, I don't know, a way to manipulate the surroundings around him, get people to do what he wanted, whatever it was. But there was a day he was conquered by God, right? Now, it was probably both an unpleasant day and a pleasant day. But this morning, as we take a look at the text before us, it's going to be an important part of our understanding. Jesus is preparing the soil. We'll see in Matthew 12, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our rest. That, that's kind of the point he's driving toward. But if you remember last time, we talked about something called expectation frustration, the idea that you have an idea what God's going to do and he does it different. And we all agreed we felt that before, right? A frustration with what God has done, the path that God has chosen, and we need to be conquered. It's our arrogance that thinks we know a better way than God does. And we need to be conquered. Now, that doesn't mean that God wants men who are not men, who are not willing to put themselves out in, a, in, a, in the fight to take risks, to do those things. God never says stop being men. He just wants conquered men. He never calls you to stop being women. But he wants you to be conquered women. Conquered by the name of Jesus Christ. And this is something that we saw in John the Baptist. He was having to deal with last time. We're going to we're going to be focusing from verse 20 on. But you remember, John the Baptist was like, are you the one or should we look for another? Are you the one who's going to accomplish all these things? Because I'm still here in prison. I ha I'm a little disappointed with how my life has worked out. And you remember the Lord, he said, you remember, you tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead rise, and blessed is he who's not ashamed or disappointed in me be conquered as we look in verse 20 jesus is going to begin what we would call an old testament woe now maybe you have a different understanding of old testament woes old testament woes are laments it's important for us to wrap our mind around that because most of the time when you read the old testament you read it as judgment like like god's mad all the time but an Old Testament lament is an exclamation of how hard life is going to be. And it's mingled with the concept of doom and pity. I once had a man in my office who had been struggling most of his life, certainly all the time I knew him, uh, with meth. And he would come into my office and we would pray and seek the Lord for deliverance and what have you. And I'll, I'll never forget the day he come into my office and he sat down and he, he was honest with himself. Maybe he hadn't been up until that point. And he said, I love meth. 
more than Jesus. And the immediate thing that goes to my mind is an Old Testament woe. I know where that road leads. I know what's at the end of it. And should you not turn, you will lose your life. Jesus is declaring an Old Testament woe in verse 20. He says, they, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They did not change their mind. They did not change their direction. They continued their headlong march. Put it in other words, I love meth more than I love Jesus. No matter what they saw him do, no matter the deliverance that they saw, all they could think about was what they had, what their lives meant to them. These are all men and women who need to be conquered. Do you ever think about it like that? My will is, I was probably a strong-willed child. Uh, you can't ask my parents anymore, but if you could, they would probably say, he was a strong, I had, I had a strong will. So, so did Jacob. And uh, the only thing I know for sure that I want to do is I don't want to do whatever you tell me I need to do. Guarantee. If, what, how long has it been I had a beard? Like the first day I grew my beard, Kathy said, you need to shave that thing. And then, even when it's red, white, and blue, she thought, he's not going to go to church with it red, white, and blue. Said, yeah, he will. Our, <laughs> I miss Isaac when he's not here. Our, our will needs to be conquered, right? It's okay to have a strong will, but that will needs to be submitted to Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. He's the King. With him is all authority. And so we want to come under that authority. So Jesus declaring this. They would not repent. They would not change their mind. They were still pursuing the same things. And I want you to understand that pursuit of all those things leads to being weary and burdened. Jesus is going to say it toward the end of the chapter, right? Come unto me, all you who are who labor and are heavy laden. That's what that leads to. Oh, you go across the United States, and one thing you can find in common with everybody, certainly those who don't know the Lord, I'm weary. I'm burdened. I'm wore out. I need a break. But vacation doesn't work. Because when you do a vacation, you come back, you're still tired. Because it's not about the vacation. It's about submission. We'll see that as we go on. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works have been done, <coughs> the mighty works done in you, excuse me, have been done entire inside, and they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, to the grave. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would remain unto this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Jesus making a declaration to those people. Now you remember, Jesus had sent out the twelve. And he had empowered them to do everything he had done. And as they went out and did all the mighty works, wherever they went... Men's hearts didn't change. Please understand, a miracle will not change your heart. I've told myself that lie before. Well, if I could just get this miracle, then, Lord, I'll... No, the miracle don't change a heart. It don't. All these miracles, dead rays, people seeing who couldn't see, people walking who couldn't walk, Unlike any other time, there's never been a time like there was when Jesus walked the earth. And still, man would not repent. Jesus is saying, you are without excuse. 
you are without excuse. If these works had been done in Tyre and Sidon or in Sodom, they would have repented. But the pride of heart that was within those men. Romans 1 verse 18 says that the wrath of God is, re is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, normally I go over that fast, but you should probably hear that again. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, because of their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. For what can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Anytime someone says to you they have not seen enough evidence for God, according to the Bible, they are lying. Most of the time, men reject God because they don't like him. Not because they don't know he exists. His invisible attributes, namely eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly per perceived since the creation of the world <clears throat> in the things that are made. The fingerprints of God throughout creation. So that they are without excuse all man stands without excuse before a holy of god a holy god and so to what extent will they be judged well what did the scripture say it will be more tolerable for sodom than for capernaum it would be more tolerable for tyre and sidon the Bible clearly lays out for us that there is a level of judgment. Not all judgment is the same. Some is harsher, some less. All judged. If you and I argue over there's degrees to the absence of God, being in the absence of God is being in the absence of God. Right? But just as there are degrees of reward, there are degrees of punishment, and their punishment is considered more severe because of the things that they saw. So what you have, what God has gifted, how, what God has shown you, you will be accountable for. Luke chapter 19, this is what Luke says about Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. And now the days are coming when your enemies will build an embankment around you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. They were held accountable for what they should have understood they were accountable for their rejection of jesus christ now what's the examples they give two examples tyre and sidon and sodom now we're we're familiar probably with sodom maybe less so with tyre and sidon in ezekiel 28 the lord gives us the his judgment against tyre and sidon the word of the lord came to me son of man say the prince of tyre thus says the lord god because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man. You're all right, brother. And no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. What was the issue there in Tyre and Sidon? It was their pride. They thought they were unconquerable. Little island. They had a good navy. And they were able to withstand... Uh, many enemies, but the Lord said, nope, that pride is going to bring you down. In Ezekiel 28, verse 20, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Sidon and prophesy against her and say, thus says the Lord God, I'm against you and I will manifest my glory in your midst and they will know I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. And Tyre and Sidon fell. Because they would not let go of their pride. Well, then the other example was Sodom and Gomorrah. Multiple times in Genesis 18 and 19, you hear this phrase. Then the Lord said, 
the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin <coughs> is very grave. Their sin is grave. The cries had reached up into the heavens. The angels speaking to Abraham said in Genesis 19, For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people have become great before the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so the Lord reigned Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities. Jude 7 says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. And Ezekiel 16, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, says, This is your sin, O Sodom. Pride. Fullness of food. Idleness of time. And you did not care for the poor. So you see these two cities, their, their issues are similar. Now the sin was lived out differently. Tyre and Sidon, boasting, arrogant, full of pride. Sodom and Gomorrah, a lot of abhorrent uh, sexual desires, homosexuality and the like. But they both, the root of the cause of each was the same. They needed to be conquered. But they were not willing so now Jesus is saying, look, if these things had been done, if these things had been done there, they would have bowed the knee. They would have turned their heart, but they weren't. They've been done here. And you are standing with hardness of heart in a place of unrepentance. And so the Lord is mourning. Because in less than, let's say, 37 years, those people who are standing in front of them are either going to be dead or slaves. And Jesus knows it. But they would not hear. So how does this repentance come? Romans 2 verse 3 says, <clears throat> Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? The problem of most religious people is seeing everyone else's sin and not recognizing the root of that sin in their own heart. Oh, I, I may not practice homosexuality, but I have pride. Do you? He says, do you assume you will escape the judgment of God or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, his patience, and not understanding that it's the goodness of God that should lead you to repentance. That when you see the goodness of God and the blessing of God, it should draw us to him, willing to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. The, the thing that brought me to Jesus was the fact that he loved me when nobody else should have. I had to reach a point in my personal life where I had become a big enough wretch that I couldn't understand anybody caring about me at all. Let alone that Jesus Christ would die in my place. And when I recognized the goodness of God, there was nothing for me to do. I was conquered on my knees you are holy, God, not me. You are righteous, God, not me. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And the Lord said the same thing to me. He said to the leper, I am willing. Be cleansed. It's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. But in our pride... We think we've done it. This is all the kingdom I have made. These are all the things I have conquered. And this was the problem with most of the kings in the Old Testament, right? When they were little in their own eyes, God could speak to them. But when they became, you know, when they got big, <clears throat> oh, I'm the man. I'm the man is the enemy. We need to be conquered 
We need to kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. And there's something in this because the scripture goes on to tell us in verse 25 that the Lord will reveal these things to us. Look what he says. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, there's something we have to understand. There's a wordplay going on here. And sometimes the, the idea of wordplays or idioms or figures of speech don't translate or they don't translate well. And you may stumble over the concept. But the idea of those who are full of wisdom and understanding is that they are full of themselves. And the idea of being, things being revealed to little children is a little child is totally dependent on another. See, the Lord reveals himself to those who are totally dependent on him, not who are full of themselves. And the scripture, Paul would even write about this, right? Paul would say, I, I thank the Lord that he, that, that he has not revealed not many wise. Doesn't say not any. That's thankful, right? And some of us would have never had a shot. But the idea that I'm full of my own understanding, I'm full of myself, it goes back to the idea of pride. It goes back to one of the things that God hates. In the book of Proverbs, six things are abomination before the Lord, yea, Seven, and a proud look tops it, full of pride. And so, so this idea, look, Jesus is declaring, there's a concept going on here between pride and humility. And humility is what happens in someone who is truthful about his own wretchedness. And in our world, we don't like that. We have sold this whole concept of self-esteem to the end of the earth. Uh, there's not very many people I have met who have a self-esteem problem. I th- if they do, it's too much. They think about self too much. In humility, I come before my great God and King, and I bow the knee. I have been conquered by him. I want to acknowledge my dependence. I can't do anything apart from Christ. Nothing. There is nothing I can do apart from Him. I can't accomplish anything. I want to be wholly and completely and totally surrendered to Christ. He has revealed these to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now this proclamation that Jesus is making, the principle of revelation, that God reveals himself to the humble, that God opens up the eyes of the humble. If God hasn't opened up your eyes, maybe you have a pride issue, maybe you need repentance change your mind and humble yourself in the sight of the lord daniel prayed a similar prayer in daniel chapter 2 verse 19 says then the mystery was revealed to daniel in a vision of the night and daniel blessed the god of heaven and daniel said blessed be the name of god forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might who is wise god is am i no No, I'm not wise of my own. My comprehension and understanding comes through the Lord God Almighty. Blessed be the name of God to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season, removes kings, sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who has understanding. And I would argue that that is the humble to the child, to the one who has dependence on him. In the book of Daniel, was it, did Daniel know everything before he ever went before the Lord? Every time Nebuchadnezzar came to him, you remember the crazy things Nebuchadnezzar asked him to do? It's kind of like Jerry's hymn. I have a favorite hymn, Jackie. If you ever do it, he said, I will jump up and shout, 
Amen, or praise the Lord. I'll remember one of those. <clears throat> well, Jerry, tell me the hymn. No. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. Nebuchadnezzar said, I had a dream, and this dream has greatly troubled me, and I need the understanding of the dream. And his wise men said, well, tell us a dream. And he said, no. If you're wise, you already know it. And none of them knew it. And then Daniel went before the Lord God Almighty, humbled himself, and cried out to God, Lord, you, the God of the universe, you know. And so God told him the dream and the interpretation of the dream, right? Where is wisdom and might? It's in the hands of the Lord. How do we gain victory on the battlefield? It's not because we're good. I don't care how good you are, how great a fighter you are. It does not matter. If the Lord is not with you, you're not good enough. He is our victory. In Daniel 2.22 says he reveals deep and hidden things. It's God. He is able to reveal himself, but he's going to reveal it to those who are dependent upon him, like a little child. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Think of a little child. A little child can't do anything for himself. He doesn't feed himself. He can't care for himself. He doesn't understand where, where danger is. He needs to be shown all those things, right? That's how we come to the Lord. Not with all our things figured out already. All our fears, all our anxieties, all our drama. No, he tells us to come to him like a little child. I don't know anything, Lord. Nothing's dangerous unless you say it is. Nothing's sinful unless you say it is. I'll go where you send me. I'll be who you call me to be. I'm totally dependent on you. Like that little child before the Lord because it brings him pleasure. It seemed good in his sight, the Lord of heaven and earth, to give these things to little children. It pleasures the God. We talked about this before. A lot of times men have lost their way. Why? Because we think the chief purpose of man is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's not the chief pursuit of man. The chief pursuit of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if you don't have the right purpose, your foundation is eroded and everything you do is kind of topsy-turvy, sideways and upside down, then Jesus says, look, all things the Father has given to me. We're going to hear this phrase over and over again. In John chapter 5, listen to what Jesus declared. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son the same way they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus Christ is that dividing point. All authority has been given to me, he declared. So go and make disciples. How much authority is all authority? We've touched on this before, right? All authority is all authority. It's all of it. The Father has given the Son total authority. He's the judge of the quick and the dead. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be conquered. Where our souls find that place to be laid down in our pride put down, and in humility we bow the head, we bow the knee, and we confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Utter 
and total dependence upon him. And then Jesus talks to us about the priority of rest. Now he's declared the need for repentance and how God reveals himself, right? He reveals himself to the humble. He reveals himself to the little children. And then he makes the call. He's told them, woe to you. The road you're on leads to destruction and death. And if you don't change the road you're on, you have nothing in your future but destruction. (coughs) And then he says the phrase in verse 28, so come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me. Come to Jesus. You remember that there's going to be a day, we we haven't read about it yet in Matthew, but there will be a time when little children, they, they see Jesus stop, and the little children just come running through the crowds. And the disciples are trying to catch them, because you know it's tough to catch a little one. The older we get it, the harder it is to catch them. No? Man, they're quick little buggers. So the disciples are running around trying to catch all these little ones who are running to Jesus. And I'm sure they're giggling, (laughs) you know, and trying not to be caught by the disciples. And all the while, Jesus is just holding his arms out. You know that because he will say, suffer not the little children, bid them come. We come to him as a little child. Utter and total dependence. How how am I going to get my next meal? I don't know. I'm going to go to Jesus. How am I going to overcome the next thing before me? I'm not saying we lay in in a puddle and we just go, Lord, feed my mouth by the ravens, but God's done it before. But I am saying you're in better shape being totally dependent on him than you are being totally dependent on yourself and trying to add him in. One is an attitude of deception that deceives only you. Meanwhile, the Lord declares the road you're on does not lead where you want to go. So come to me. He bids them come. That's that's the same thing he did to me. He bid me come. As an unfaithful man, an unfaithful husband, a wretch in every possible way, standing before the bride of my youth and declaring to her, oh, honey, sorry, I tested positive for HIV. Nobody would have said, oh, you're just misunderstood. No, they didn't. And I wasn't. I was in rebellion against God in every possible way. And finally, the actions that I took brought the death sentence. Now, I recognized it. You, just because you don't have something like that over your head does not mean you don't have a death sentence. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. It was there. Now that was back in the 80s. Some of you were alive then. In the 80s, AIDS was a big deal. But today, lots of people live with AIDS. Back then, people didn't live. People were dying right and left. So when I make that proclamation, and everybody, just so you know, everybody would leave. Nobody would stay. Nobody would... Nobody would say, oh, we'll figure all this stuff out. That's not how that works, especially when you've been nothing but unfaithful 
How many of you know that your sin won't just kill you? How many of you know that your sin will kill you and your children and your children's children to the fourth generation? Because we teach them to walk in our footsteps. They follow us. We condemn everybody around us. Sin destroys. Sin is destructive. So in a single wide trailer in Midway Park, North Carolina, Jesus said, come to me. There's no answers, no magic pills, nothing that's going to make everything better. There was no way for me to look at my wife and take away the hurt of all my betrayal. There was no way. She was pregnant with our first son at the time. If you've had an experience like that, it is does wonders in destroying your pride. So I actually feel sorry for you who have never experienced that. Because pride's a little demon that does just looks like it's not there. He looks like he's not there. You think everything's fine. What's the big deal? And you convince yourself like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that you're not a tax collector. But you are a tax collector. You are a sinner. You are guilty before a holy God. And Jesus is saying, come to me. So in that single wide trailer in Midway Park, North Carolina, had red carpet and pink drapes. I think that's how it went. And duck wood duck paneling. Certain things are etched in your mind, right? Certain key moments in your life. You guys with me? My wife and I together knelt down in front of that couch and surrendered. I don't know what I have left. I have made a mess. I don't know how far it'll go, how long, how short. I don't know any of those things. I know I am a conquered man. And for different reasons, my wife knelt at a couch and said she was a conquered woman. So the only person who could bring her, help her walk the path of forgiveness was Jesus Christ. And the only one who could help me be the man I need to be is Jesus Christ. And so for real, like that scripture I've shared with you guys a number of times, I beat my breast and I said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. <clears throat> and the scripture says, this one goes away justified. Now, you don't have to be more of a wretch than me. But you do have to be conquered. So that you will not be self-deceived. Jesus is talking to a group of people self-deceived. They're, they're religious and they think they're righteous and they, they don't really need anything and they're not responding to the poor outpouring of his Holy Spirit and the miracles that they see. Those miracles aren't drawing them to a place where they recognize, I am a wretch standing before a holy God. And if you don't recognize that, you don't know why you need a Savior. And you will say, like they said in those days, I will not have this man rule over me. And Jesus will say, I know where that road ends. Woe to you. For if you will not repent, there is no life that way. Only destruction. So Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And during that time in my life, I went to a lot of places. I, <clears throat> I had a lot of counseling. I was in the Marine Corps. 
So the Marine Corps figured I needed counseling because I was going to die soon. So you had to have counseling. And every single person that I went in who, who was diagnosed, we were all going on a float into the Persian Gulf. There were multiple guys that got pulled, uh, not from my unit, but multiple guys in the Marine Corps that all got pulled. And so I went to uh, uh, Bethesda, Maryland, to their, the hospital that the military had there, and I watched them all die. And there was nobody there. There was nobody who wanted to hold anybody's hand, nobody who wanted to sit in a room, nobody who wanted to offer comfort. Because that's the worst of the worst, those people. Only bad people get AIDS, right? They did all this stuff, but nobody could give answers. The only person who could give answers was Jesus Christ. And uh, he comforted me, comforted me through that whole time. I did that for a year. Now, after a year, right before they put me out of the Marine Corps, they did the last test. And the last test came back that I did not have HIV. That's not the praise, by the way. I could care less about I had it and I was healed. The healing is not the thing. What happened was God conquered me. Jacob wrestled with God. And he prevailed, Scripture says, until God touched his hip. And he took away his independence and he brought him to a place of dependence. That's the miracle. Whether I lived or died didn't matter. I'm thankful I lived and Kathy lived and all my babies now have babies. So that's cool. And I'm thankful for God doing what he did. He didn't owe me anything. We have to be men and women who are conquered before God. We have to be men and women who will come to him because he's the only place of rest. He is your Sabaoth. He is Yahweh Sabbath. He is the Lord our Sabbath. He's our rest. And if you think it's your money or your bank account, don't worry. The economy's about to take all that away from me anyway. If you think it's anything else, you think it's how smart you are, how strong you are, how good you are, how much success you have. Those things only work against you. Surrender those things. I'm not saying give all that away. Enjoy the blessings God's given you. Submit to God. Be conquered. Hear the truth of God's word. I will give you rest. Look at verse 29. Take my yoke. This is an action we do. Do you understand that's an action of humility? What person puts a yoke on themselves? I'll give you a hint. Paul uses it to describe himself over and over and over again. He said, I am Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. You know what a slave does? He wears a yoke. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I have bowed the knee. He's king. If he wants it, he can have it. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's all his. He's given it all to me, and he can take it. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Take my yoke, Jesus is saying, and put it on. Who won't do that? The proud. The proud who says, well, I don't want to, why do I want to be a slave? People are always busting the chops at a Bible. The Bible approves of slavery. The Bible never condemns slavery. Yeah, slavery is preferred to death, just in case you didn't know. The only people who say, that, who say, I'd rather be dead than a slave have never had that choice. Just so you know. And if they do, it'll be their pride that is their destruction. Jesus is life, not death. So we come to him, we humble ourselves, we take 
his yoke. And then listen, how do I do that? Like, there's not really a yoke I put on, right? So how do I do it? He says, take my yoke upon you and what's the next phrase? Learn from me. Learn from Jesus. Study his word. Know him. That's how we know him. We, we pour over it. We, I want to know him. When I was in boot camp and Kathy would write me a letter, I read them letters umpteen times. I would sit up in the middle of the night when, you, when everybody's awake in boot camp, just so you know, because we're all doing the same things. And we're sitting there and we're pouring over that letter because that letter attaches me to the person I love. And in a very real sense, when I've taken the yoke of Christ upon myself, that's what the word of God becomes to me. It's his letter to me. He's talking to me. He's, he's bidding me to learn from him. Take my yoke and learn from me. And then he tells us the best lesson. For I am and lowly. The humble king. When Jesus was born, is he born in a palace? No. In fact, the Bible would declare in Isaiah, there is no, no form or comeliness that we would desire him. That means all those pictures that people draw of him and you look at him and you go, oh man, Jesus is so cute. No. He said there was nothing about him that you would go, oh wow, look at that's Jesus. Now, now we, we see guys with long hair and beard and we think, oh look, he looks like Jesus. Maybe. But Listen, Jesus said, I'm lowly. He didn't come from the top of the food chain. He came from the bottom. He was born in a stable, <clears throat> not in the palace. He was a carpenter, a tradesman, worked with his hands. But he had the greatest mind anyone's ever heard. Because he's God in the flesh, I am lowly and gentle. And in me, you will find rest. I love this phrase, for your soul. Anybody weary in their soul? Yeah. I, I catch myself getting weary. Being weary about all hurts, pains, whatever, junk, drama, all of it. Because I catch myself being yoked to them things instead of to Christ. And I catch myself walking in my own pride trying to solve it instead of realizing, oh no, the Lord calls me to humble myself, <clears throat> myself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift me up. And I want the Lord to lift me up. You will find rest for your soul. Man, I want that. I want to walk in the humbleness of God and I want to have the attitude of Jesus Christ, a humble attitude. And I want to stand strong like him because he stood strong before Pilate. And he said things right in the face of the, the man who had the power of life and death over him. And he said, you would have nothing over me except God gave it to you. Man, that's amazing. I want to have that attitude. I want to have that acceptance of receiving that yoke. I want to close it. I want to learn from him because he declares I'll find rest in my soul. He is my Sabbath. People, churches are going to argue from now till Jesus returns on whether or not you should uh, participate in the Sabbath. The scripture says the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. We need rest. Anybody know we need rest? We need rest. For the New Testament believer in Jesus Christ, your rest is him. He's your Sabbath. That's why Paul said it doesn't matter what day is your Sabbath because Jesus is your Sabbath. He's it. Be yoked to him. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. People are going to wrestle over that for a while, too. My yoke is easy, so if anything in life is hard, then that's not, Jesus not in it. Excuse me? He sweat great drops of blood the night of his crucifixion. I would say that was hard. 
How is my yoke easy? Well, that word means a lot of things. It means well-fitting. It means comfortable. It means secure. It means no matter what you have to walk in this life, if you're yoked to Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. And whether that road is hard or that road is easy, you have everything you need. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. Because Jesus will carry it. Jesus will guide you. And Jesus ultimately, I pray, will be glorified in the lives we live out before him. The invitation to Christ remains today. But now, just like then, it requires that persons come not exalting themselves, but depending and trusting in him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for what you have wrought in us. I thank you that you conquered my pride. That you delivered me from my sin. I thank you that it has nothing to do with my wisdom. Just on my dependence. I cannot save myself any more than you can save yourself. I am dependent on Jesus Christ. For he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus also declared that no one will come to me except the Father draws him. And when we respond, as we respond to that, Jesus declares, and I will raise him up in the last day. So Jesus' call today, this morning to us, is come unto me. This morning we're going to have elders and deacons around the sanctuary, and they're all here for you. If you hear his call, come. They're all here to pray with you and encourage you and bring you to that place, just like a single wide trailer. It doesn't have to be a temple, but it does have to be done. That place where you will allow yourself to be conquered by the mighty power of Jesus Christ. And he will save you. We repent, we turn away from our sin, and we turn toward Christ. We don't trust in our own strength. We trust in the power of Jesus Christ. So, Lord God, even as you were moving by your Spirit this morning, whispering in my ear through that worship song, I need to be conquered by Jesus. That's you today as we close out and there will be men and women leaving and going about their day. If that's you, don't just walk away. Jesus has pronounced the woe. Woe unto you if you don't change that road, you are headed to destruction. But if you will repent and allow the of Christ to take place, humble yourself side of the Lord and he will lift you up to the glory of Jesus name for the glory of the father by the power of his spirit Lord we pray that you would move in this place have your way Lord we lift this morning to you and we pray God that you would move in this place Lord it's not the voice of human wisdom it is the power of the Spirit that draws, calls, saves, and accomplishes His purpose. So, Lord, we just lay this morning before You. We pray, God, that You will be glorified. 
And as we close, Lord, I pray that those who are of the family of God this morning, pray for those who aren't, that they would know him and the power of his resurrection, that they would understand the love of God, that they would comprehend with all the saints the height, breadth, width, and depth of the love of God, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, Lord, it's your day. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.